High School Slumber Party AP is a Cage Club Podcast Network production. For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome slumbers who take their studies a little more seriously. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Aislinn Addington. And this is High School Slumber Party AP, a study session in contemporary teen films. And your assignment today was to watch 52577. But before we chat all about this film, we have some other homework to discuss. Yes, please. Have you subscribed yet? Please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us right now. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the good places. And of course, class participation is a huge part of your grade. Follow High School Slumber Party on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us if you'd like. This is also, wanted to mention, obviously a companion piece to an episode that came out a couple weeks ago. Iceland, did you get a chance to listen to the interview I had with Patrick Reed Johnson, director of 52577? I did. I saved it to listen to after I saw the movie, which, I mean, truly could go either way. Honestly, you could listen to it and then watch the movie and then listen to it again. But I enjoyed my experience of having watched the movie and then getting that behind the scenes commentary, hearing about how things came together. And uh, yeah, just this really, really cool story. Can you remind me how you crossed paths? So... Previous guest of Ice Slumber Party, Ryan Stick, um, had interviewed Patrick Reed Johnson uh, because he directed a film called Angus, which we also covered here on High School Slumber Party. I actually interviewed the lead actor with uh, frequent guest Kate Hudson, not that Kate Hudson, yeah. Charlie Talbert. And Charlie went on Ryan's show, mentioned my show. Ryan and I became sort of like podcast friends and then... You know, Ryan dropped me Patrick Reed Johnson's information when he found out that we were doing our AP project of watching all the films, as many teen films as possible, I should say, yeah. uh, of 2022. Since 52577 was on the list, I mean, I thought it was an awesome opportunity to talk to someone in Hollywood. And, yeah. you know, it was a really, really cool and, and special interview. I don't want to spoil everything because I want you know, the slumbers and the listeners and the AP, the good AP students to go ahead and listen to it. But it was a wide-ranging interview because, yeah, we talk a lot of 52577. We talk a lot about the rest of his career as well, including uh, directing Angus and how he found Charlie Talbert and, you know, some other stuff that might be coming up down the pike. And we leave the interview on quite the cliffhanger that I need Patrick Rejonta to come back because I want to know more. I'll leave it at that. Oh, that's a great tease. Nice work. If I didn't say it already, this is really a part two 
Um, we're not going to talk too much about the production today, and we're going to kind of just hop right into some of the movie chat. Unless Seth Rogen said something else offensive that we need to cover, I think we're, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're welcome to just get on with the movie. So definitely, Aizen, you said that you could listen to that episode in any order, but I feel like you should listen to the interview before listening to this episode covering excellent point yes. so i think a true ap order of succession if you will would be listen to the episode interview then watch the film then listen to the episode interview again now that you have all the visuals and then listen to what you're currently listening to right now so if you haven't done all that please pause do it and then come back to us oh i love it I love it. I love your your sense of structure much better than mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love a plan. <laughs> so, Aizen, why don't you uh, read the old summary of five twenty five seventy seven? Also, where did you watch the film? I rented it via Amazon Prime. I wanted to support the film in a small way. Yeah, I did the same. Actually rented it twice. Um, it's actually on Showtime now, if you have Showtime, which I technically do not. But, you know, Showtime, don't don't rat me out. But I have occasionally borrowed passwords from other people to get Showtime. I just, again, felt like supporting the film and not stealing, considering we had the director on. <laughs> um, so, uh, But I just wanted to let everyone know if they did have Showtime or access to Showtime, they could watch this now for as long as Showtime has it. Absolutely. That's a great option. And also, if, like us, you want to support a very independent film, then yeah, absolutely it's worth the, you know, truly not even the price of a fancy coffee because a fancy coffee is probably like five dollars oh yeah and this is only three or four so in any case the imdb tiny paragraph about 525.77 alienated filmmaker hopeful pat johnson's epic story of growing up in rural illinois falling in love, and becoming the first fan of the movie that changed everything. Of course, that movie we're talking about is Star Wars. I don't know what day we'll exactly release this, but I guess since we're close to it, may the 4th be with you, Sure, <laughs> that would be a... Thank you, and and also with you. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, it would be... It would be fun. Um, and like you're saying, well, this will be around the 4th. So maybe folks will still be celebrating. You know, sometimes holidays, it takes a while to get all the family together, you know, organize all the gift giving. So yeah, uh, it could be May the 4th in your heart any day. Yeah, May the 4th. If not, if I just take a while editing this, maybe it'll come out on 525-20. What year is it? 2023? Yeah. 23. <laughs> I was going to say 22. I'm like, wait, no, don't do that. So really, either way, we've got, you know, good promotional <laughs> moments there. Are you a Star Wars fan? That's a great question. Um, Star Wars is just something I have always grown up with as someone who is uh, was not around in 1977. Uh, and we may have talked about this at another time, but my introduction or my early memories of it are actually of the sequels. Because we had a an old like uh, disc player, like Laserdisc, but not Laserdisc, you know, like pre-VHS disc at uh, the cabin at Flathead Lake that we could watch in the summer. And so it was the only time we got to see those things. And 
my brother had both of the sequels in that format. So to me, growing up, the, you know, chapter five, if you will, was the first images I recognize as Star Wars. I've only seen true, you know, episode four, I think a couple, three or four times ever. Um, But I've seen the other two dozens and dozens of times um, of that original um, trilogy. Of course, I loved Princess Leia as a kid. That character and the way that Carrie Fisher portrayed her was that, like, it's hard to say warrior princess without it sounding cliche because of Beth phrasing, but like gorgeous and badass and brilliant and like an activist. You know, I mean, I think she might be the first activist I was aware of. It's awesome. So that was a long road to get there that, yes, certainly grew up with it. Certainly my brother, who's a few years older than me, was a huge fan. And so it was part of our lives. Um, In fact, he still has his um, toy Millennium Falcon, like original Millennium Falcon. He still has the Ewok Village. It's all around us. The, The first one I remember, the first one I was, well, not counting those other ones. Getting to see The Force Awakens in the theater with my brother was really fun because we didn't, you know, I was too young to have it with kind of the first set. The second set were so disappointing. And so this, you know, the reawakening of the franchise, if you will, was really fun. Side question, just Iceland commentary that that I'm going to make. I love how some of the formative films in these, like, trilogies are not the ones you would think right like temple of doom you said it was really important for you right oh my god yes (laughs) so like i I see a trend here we really got we got some of these wrong (laughs) Um, i used the information i had uh so for me definitely obviously was not maybe not obvious to some listeners but i was not alive in 1977 so did not witness the first trilogy i think similarly my mom's like one of five and she says the first film she and all her five siblings saw together in the theater was i think return of the jedi wow they started on the last one but the last one of that trilogy uh was very excited for the late 90s trilogy and you know i was a kid so i enjoyed them more than perhaps i should have that's okay. Joy is joy, man. Fair. Like, fair. Have, have your joy. Yeah, it was a difficult time for all of us. And I would say I was pretty into it at the start of this new trilogy. And this is not me criticizing the newer stuff and the TV shows. I'm not going to be that person. I know, like you said, it's joy, it brings joy to a lot of people. I got older and life sort of got in the way. And there's a lot to keep up with now. Like, I'm pretty, I like to be completist with things. And I feel lost dipping in and out. You know, so that's why I can't be like, I'm a Star Wars super fan because I am like five shows or seasons behind at this point to say that. And I didn't see the last of the newer trilogy in theaters on streaming, but it was like when I was not paying attention. And that would be like a younger me would be sad thinking about that. Like, oh my God, there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi show. It's like, I didn't see it yet. You know, so. Right. But also, in another way, it's there waiting for you for the moment that it's right. Who knows what life brings? There might be a time when I just feel like I'm not going to go out for a bit and I'm going to catch up with all the Star Wars stuff, right? So maybe that'll come at some point in my life. But long story short, 
was a huge fan, haven't caught up yet, but willing to be a fan again, you know? (laughs) And I preface it by saying, I don't think you necessarily need to be a Star Wars fan fan to like or enjoy this film, but I think you need to be at least tangentially aware of the pop culture impact Star Wars made. And if you're not, I, I don't think you'd be probably tuning into a show like this, so... Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, I agree. You, I think you have to appreciate fandom. You have to appreciate pop culture, you know, to some extent. One of the things that I really liked about 525-77 was the almost famous, like, adventure of an, I don't want to say average, because clearly he's extraordinary, but like, you know, a, a small town kid having this... uh you know, big city adventure for lack of a more creative way to say it. And I think that is universal beyond, you know, what Star Star Wars was. It it just happens to be maybe more engaging or more likely to impact people because it was such a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. This is Patrick Reed Johnson's passion project as you know he talks about in the interview it took a long time to make and complete really most of it was because of the music i read a little bit more about it since the interview and there were cuts of this film at least one cut that was screened at like a star wars celebration i think 10 years ago right so like oh wow people have like known that this film existed he was making it and he's a clearly an established filmmaker a lot of times on high school slumber party especially for for whatever reason and and ap honestly mostly we talk about filmmakers i don't know it feels like it's their first or second project and it happens to be a teen film that's not patrick reed johnson here like he he's a pro mm-hmm. um of the industry he, he's been around a while it, it seems like he was finally at the at the point or i guess the point way back when 2004 2006 when filming took place like at that point where he sort of wanted to tell um his own story well just thinking about the timeline of it so you know we learned in the interview he's 60 so this puts you know what him like 42 or so when when this was shot or when most of it was shot and so so yeah you're right it is an interesting kind of switch from maybe what we see in the contemporary where that teen film is a more launching point. This being, I mean, I don't know. Can you call it a memoir? I mean, I know that's what a book is, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, a, is it a biopic? Uh, I guess. I don't know. I understand literarily whew, that, um, you know, uh, autobiography and memoir are different and there are more creative liberties with memoir. So that's why I use that, and I don't know what the film equivalent to biopic or biopic, must that be, in quotes, historically accurate? Or can there be liberties with that? Because doesn't it doesn't the film start with, like, most of this is true? Yeah, uh, what you're saying, like, I think is, like, very timely, right? Because I have these debates all the time with, you know, film nerd friends about, like the Elvis movie or the Queen movie, right? Like they take so much liberties in that and they take a lot of artistic license that I just don't think maybe that the film terminology for it is widespread, but I think 
you're right, there should be some kind of delineation there. There are some a lot of universal truths in this film that we recognize in a lot of the teen films we watch here for the podcast, modern and nostalgia ones, right? But there, there's something about this on the second watch that I noticed, and I'm sure a lot of you on the first watch probably noticed, but, and, and you hit the nail on the head with it, Island. He starts with saying that, like, this is mostly a true story. And then in this opening sort of thing with the dad, by the way, he plays the dad, uh, Patrick Reed Johnson himself, which is, jar- not, I don't want to say jarring, but interesting when you interview the guy. And, and see him on Zoom, and then you're watching right. it, and it, like, it almost took me out a little bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, I talked to that guy. <laughs> but um, let, let me, I want to get the exact line. I think I wrote it down here. He throws a couple of lines at you at the beginning. When the dad's teaching him editing, he's like, editing is when you see something in the story and you want to take it out, right? And it's kind of mirrored with, like, the parents' divorce. And another thing that the dad, right. the dad t- says to him I don't think we learn how the world works at the movies. And he's like, at the beginning, throwing things at us. And then I go back to the interview with Patrick, and he's talking about people enjoying the movie and how great that is. And then he's talking about the critics and some of the people where it seems like they didn't enjoy it as much. And he said this thing that like lingered with me when I listened to the interview again. And it was like... The people who are most critical are the ones who get what I was trying to tell the most. And I don't know like what he exactly mm-hmm. meant by that. And he, you know, he, he wouldn't tip his hand there. On the second watch, and maybe I'm grasping at straws, maybe it's something here. Like, I, I think a lot of people, when I read the reviews, it's like, oh, this cool nostalgia piece. It really brings you back to the 70s. And I don't know if enough people touch on the fact that, like, this is very much an unreliable narrator. He's the director He's also himself in the film directing a film. And I I don't know where I'm getting at, but I feel like there's something there, you know? (laughs) No, I I totally hear you. And I, I, in thinking about just that concept of the people that were more critical kind of got it the most, I see that 100%. So in like a, in my super academic past, right, when you have to trade papers with someone and and edit somebody else's paper or story or what have you, it's easier to just do a cursory, that's a nice paragraph, or (laughs) just do spell check or whatever. But like to really dig into it and ask critical questions, you you have to have at least some understanding of, of the kind of meat of it. As a vegetarian, I don't know why I use that, but that's because that's what people say. Um, what would the vegetarian so, equivalent be? I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. Sorry. Roasted vegetables. I mean, cake. Everyone loves cake. To get to the real cake of it. Yeah. The center filling. <laughs> I wonder. I also just had um, a little brain lightning of, I also think the, that there could be something to the, this is mostly true, is a little tongue in cheek because- in the beginning, we are walked through all of his backyard sequels to to other people's stories. So, like, that to me is also a layer of oh, some yeah. of this is true. Like, Jaws 2 is not Jaws 2. And, you know, the his, his – I forget the name of his, like, E.T. But, yeah, you're right. It is – it uses a variety of, like, filmmaking – style choices 
you know, whether it's just the dates or the freeze framing or the ways in which it's not, I mean, there is a little bit of fourth wall breaking, but also just the way we are invited into and then brought out of scenes and times is like not always, it's not just a straightforward picture, right? Yeah. Like we look into film and then something happens. And so again, I think it's more memoir than like biopic. And maybe there's something in there that he was trying to do. Maybe, maybe there is a, the magic of the movies that kind of make real life stuff more magical too. And the fact that it gets mirrored, I know I said we wouldn't talk much about the production, but the fact that it gets mirrored by a 20 year long production here and him telling the stories and just the subtle things that he's saying in the interview, like, Oh, this, I think at one point he's like my wife at the time. Right. Like, and then he talks about somebody like who was a kid then, who's now has kids of their own, who's still working on the film. And again, it's funny because that first act is him not finishing a lot of projects, right? And right. I don't know, self fulfilling prophecy or whatever. Like, it, it's almost to me, and and maybe we're the only ones who experiencing this because we have the interview itself. It's almost to me that the, the layers of this movie extend to real life somehow, which I don't know. I find it to be fun. Yeah. No, I, I like that too. You mentioned folks that are kids and are adults now. I would like to spend a minute talking about the very talented John Francis Daly. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and one of the reasons I'm most excited to is because I did over the weekend get to see the Dungeons and the Dragons movie. My niece and nephew took me. Nice. How was it? And it was, it was so much fun. Nice. I, I had not been, I've not been to very many movies in a integrated pandemic world. Um, and so it was perfect for me because it was an 11 a.m. show on a Sunday. So like not a ton of people. And there's this weird thing and it's, it's maybe it's patronizing, but like, I'm so proud of him <laughs> because I feel like I've known him for so long, right? Freaks and geeks. There was a while there where I was a, a Bones person. I knew he was, you know, doing a lot of writing and I remember being excited when Horrible Bosses came out and and so this just seems like what a I, I thought he handled what could be really complex and either overly maybe specific and and too much kind of in the lore of it also making it just a fun adventure that folks could enjoy regardless of their history with, with the game. So just to go back and see him in his young adulthood was really, really fun. Yeah. And again, that mirrors the weirdness and sort of the story that he's a director now and a writer and a successful filmmaker. And in this film made 20 years ago or shot 20 years ago, he is uh, playing a writer-director directed by the person he's supposed to play. Like, it's just like... Right, who is a writer-director who, as a child, wanted to be a director. Yeah. So, really, it is a nesting doll <laughs> filmmaking here. Amazing, amazing. And uh, Patrick Reed Johnson let us know that John Francis Daly sort of stepped in. Like, he didn't say who the actor was who dropped out. He just said he was a well-known name, but uh, that John Francis Daly stepped in days before uh, shooting. Yes. And he also had some really interesting observations about him as an actor that I think we should save so people listen to the interview. Oh, yeah. 
But all that to say, I'm a big fan. I have been a big fan. This movie continued my fandom. I will say there is a choice that was not appealing to me, but I understand it's not about what's appealing to me. But the way that the character of Patrick would stare at people. <laughs> and and I am going to say particularly at the young women in the film, I understand narratively um, what that was, but just as a person who, you know, is, is the other side of the camera for kind of lack of a better term, it was unsettling. But I, that also speaks to him being a good actor. But, you know, like that was like, oh, man, Close your mouth and stop staring. <laughs> he, he did do that a lot. I thought you were going to criticize the wig work. You know, it was wiggy, but I I see the 70s as a very wiggy time. Very true. And so that didn't bother me so much. And I thought that perhaps the um, the best friend, you know, production partner, I thought his amazing hair made up for the wig. Oh, yeah. So as a duo, I was happy with the hair. And again, Patrick Reed Johnson said that, like, they basically had to just put him in that wig and start shooting. So totally get it from, from that perspective. It didn't like take me out of the movie at all. But the only other thing I just wanted to bring up in after the interview, and you mentioned Dungeons and Dragons thing, and just the way Patrick said that uh, John Francis Daly would be on set, I'll just say that it's no surprise to me that he's a successful uh, filmmaker today. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great a great way to um, to circle back to that. You also talked in the interview about the portrayal of Steven Spielberg in the movie. Uh, just another reason I think that people should see it is what an interesting choice. And as they say in the interview, I, I think, um, you know, Steven doesn't particularly uh, – enjoy or sort of choose to be portrayed you know he's a very behind the camera person and so all if you haven't seen the movie please watch it especially just that sequence of like this random kid from illinois suddenly being face to face with steven spielberg in 1976 is i don't know i'm trying i'm I'm at a loss for words what what did you think of that whether it's just that bit or or the or the Hollywood chunk of the of the movie, kind of how how does that hit you? Like that was you know one of my favorite parts. I, again, I mentioned in the interview, um, you know, the actor who plays him and who's an amateur, as we learn, Kevin J. Stevens. He seems like he knows what he's talking about here, and I felt like the character of Patrick Reed, Patrick or you know not Patrick Reed Johnson the director, Patrick the character. Um, I I really felt. Like I was him in that room, who and I got to have a conversation with the young Steven Spielberg because you know I love Spielberg. I love these classic era directors, and to me, like even though I love Star Wars, I was nerding out more for oh my god, he got to meet a young Steven Spielberg while he's making Close Encounters. Like that to me was like so again nerdy film nerdy awesome. Yeah, I loved a lo- I loved that Hollywood stuff. Um, you know, I, I mm. liked all the aspects of the movie, but the Hollywood stuff felt genuine and real. And uh, a character we haven't mentioned today yet is uh, Patrick's mother, and how um, per- sort of persistent she is, and how she sort of gets him that opportunity 
in Hollywood just to sort of, you know, shadow for a day. And that's how he ends up walking in essentially on a, on the Star Wars screening and it, you know, blowing his mind. While 525-77 is a cool title, I think it sort of shortchanges the film in a sense. Like, this is a film if you love, like, I guess directors of a certain era because they talk a lot of Kubrick, a lot of Spielberg, mm-hmm. and, of, and of course <laughs> Star Wars. But I would argue they talk more Spielberg and Kubrick than George Lucas or whatever. Like, And I guess that's my two cents on the film stuff here. Sure. Well, I think because it's 525-77 was the beginning. You know, um, I mean, obviously not the beginning of of all those things, but but of Star Wars taking over the world, right? Because and and I think I do think that's a one of the um, pieces of the movie that I resonated with a lot was being very excited about something and feeling like you had a lot of information, like kind of you had this, I don't know, joy that you were trying to share with other people and they didn't get it or they couldn't get it. Mm. And, you know, the character of um, Patrick experiences that trying to explain to his friends in Illinois that this thing's about to come out. It's going to be amazing. They finally see a trailer and like, not everyone is impressed. (laughs) Um, Like I know that feeling. And, and unfortunately my examples are terrible for it's I don't have Star Wars level examples for that, but I know that feeling. I was gonna ask, and, what was your five twenty five seventy seven in your life? Okay, I have I, I do have two. Great. So one was when I first became aware of Rent the musical. I mean, I was I was in fifth grade. I saw it on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I saw one particular song, and I literally like went to Hastings and bought the CD sets and just read the lyrics all night, and. While later it became popular among young people, it was not popular in, you know, the mid to late 90s in Montana, (laughs) you know, when it wasn't even touring yet. Wow. So that was one. That was really hard because I just, I cared so much. I loved it so much. The one that I'm thinking of that is more embarrassing was in junior high and I was up late. I probably had watched a movie with Tobin, my older brother, that we rented that was probably not age appropriate for me. And it was very, very, very like one o'clock in the morning and we didn't have MTV, but we had VH1 and that's when they would play new songs and the Barbie girl song. came on, <laughs> And I watched this surreal thing and I was like, this is going to be huge. And I went to school the next, the next Monday and I was like, you guys, there's this song and it's like about Barbie, this and that. And of course it's junior high. So the other, you know, young women are looking at me like, you nerd, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it was, I don't know, three weeks later that then that song was everywhere. So that, my 525.77 is not, has no stakes to it, but it's that feeling. And so I get that that's the date and that's what the movie is called because of that feeling potentially. But you're right. It's so much the real cake of the movie is in that Hollywood thing where he's seeing the x-wing and this and that and it mirrors what he's made at home but it's for real you know also it just doesn't roll off the tongue 525.77 i think that you know what you're hitting on is like what 525.77 is all about it might not be star wars moments and we might not be directors who have you know extensive portfolios but you're exactly right like that sense that you've i think of a lot of music like that right 
And even if it didn't become popular, that sense that like you know something that everyone is about to know and it, it's yes. it's so cool or you hope they know. And you're right. Sometimes it's disappointing. Like I remember I was an early watcher. I think it was in high school. Yeah, I, w- I was graduating high school when Arrested Development was on the air and you know, no one was watching and I was watching. I'm like, the show's really good, guys. And I remember buying the first season on DVD, bringing it to college, showing freshman kids who didn't even really know me, like, yo, this is so funny. And then I'm like, I don't really get it. <clears throat> Eventually, you know, I did feel a little vindicated when like, Yes, uh, that one I hope you're vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like again, there's there's like uh, music too, and this is gonna make me sound like an alcoholic, but I don't know why this is coming to mind, but like I started drinking Moscow Mules like a little before they became really cool. And I hear that. And I was like, you know, so many people that I know in my friend group, which is, you know, I'm not saying it's huge or it's a cool thing, or like, you know, you were drinking those Moscow Mules before everyone else was. And I thought you were crazy with that copper mug. But, like, you know, <laughs> but, but my point is like, we get these like fun little moments in life and they do really bring us so much joy. I don't know what it is about them. Is connection, yes, right? Yes. And and I do think culture um is is super powerful. And so, you know, I, I do think media is probably a pretty common one. And, and storytelling, whether it's in song, Barbie Girl, <laughs> or in um in film Star Wars, you know, on the same plane, there it's and and back to kind of the almost famous piece that Yeah, oh that great it, example reminded yeah. me of. You know, again, even with like a magazine that a high school kid was reading that maybe wasn't for the audience of a high school kid. And that's the connection. And, you know, yeah, I think there's there's so much charm in this story. And I'm so glad that the timing worked out that it came out in 2022 and could be part of this year's, you know, roundup, if you will, because it's nice to to look back and have the nostalgia, but also this universality that's it's also contemporary. Yeah, and it's it's strange in a sense too. One of the other notes I had was I, I know you mentioned um, the stairs are kind of are kind of odd at certain points, but I gotta say, if, if a lot of filmmakers made a film in two thousand six and they released them in twenty twenty two, I guarantee a lot of them would not have the universality that this film has right that's a great point i think also the performances and particularly as i was watching the end i was reflecting back and like this looks good you know i i was watching it on a you know home screen i wasn't on a on a big screen but but for something that aspects of it were 18 to 20 years ago not only is the story timeless but like Maybe it's because it was a period piece. I'm wondering what what are your thoughts on that? I, I thought it it looked great, and if you had told me it was 2018 that they shot it, I would believe you. Yeah, I think I think uh, the period piece aspect certainly helps. I think just the universality of the teenage story and the stuff we're talking about that 52577 moment. I think that helps too. Yeah, I mean, I think those those are really what helps there but also i don't know I, maybe i need a third watch to really figure that that part of it out but i was just thinking about that on this second watch like you know it doesn't feel like i was just thinking of of a film 
that I, like it's a little film that I shot with friends of mine that never got officially edited, you know, in my early twenties. And now I'm like, I hope nobody sees that film. And it's not because of the hard work people put in. It's not because I'm not proud of, of what I did, you know, behind the scenes and the writing of it. The writing of that screenplay, like that does not reflect how I feel in 2022. If, if that makes mm, sense, right? Like, gotcha. That's a good point. Yeah. I was a 22, 23-year-old man still living at home. A young man. You know what I mean? I don't think I had a lot of perspective on the world. Now, look, Patrick Reed Johnson was much older than I am making this then and obviously uh, now. Sure. But I still think, like, we've gone through so much in the last 20 years that even even a seasoned filmmaker might make something that could feel dated uh, if it was released in 2022 and it didn't feel that yes, way. So absolutely. I was impressed. Thank you. You said that better than, um, than I did. It took me yeah, a while, though. <laughs> we got there. This is AP. We'll get there. We'll have a lar- long thesis statement, but we'll get there. Uh, were there any other scenes that really stuck out to you or moments in the film that you wanted to discuss? You know, I, I struggle, again, because I, I want people to, to go out and watch it, so I don't want to, you know, over-describe it. But I agree. I think the Hollywood stuff is really fun and that uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but the particularly in the conversation with Steven Spielberg, I, I think about, I don't know, maybe like early grad school or times I was in a room with what I understood to be experts and great thinkers. And it's that thing of like, you want to keep up. And there are moments in the conversation where you're like, yes, I know exactly what they're talking about. I'm in this, I'm on the same page. And then there are other moments where you're just like, I don't know what the words are that they are saying. (laughs) And that kind of fake it till you make it, be enthusiastic, but don't be too naive. And I don't know. I just, uh, I felt like that, that was also a feeling that was so familiar to me and the excitement of kind of being, part of that conversation that you have thought about or dreamed about or um, or aspired to be part of is such an exciting thing to capture, even if we're just saying these are three dudes sitting in a room having a conversation. Yeah, no, that's an interesting way, it's an interesting way to put it. And then just to carry that information, sort of like a torch back to his hometown and the way he spreads it. But I guess the movie turns a little... The movie builds to a point, right, where he wants to um, share it with everybody. He he has flyers, like, see the first screening of Star Wars, and nobody really cares. And he himself, through a series of misadventures, we'll say, takes up a lot of time in the movie. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but um, he misses, like, the first three or four screenings, or so he thinks, of Star Wars, right? And most of the emotional stuff of the film... That's the stuff that kind of is the roadblock to him seeing that initial screening of Star Wars. Right. Which maybe is another reason that it is called 52577. Because that day and those kind of pivotal moments, while he had been so looking forward to Star Wars, which is very external, it really, the date reflects more of his individual story. And yes it was it was very teen drama y for a little <laughs> while there again, not a criticism, just what it was, and I just wanted him to get to the theater, yeah. you know because of course the the version he saw wasn't you know the full bells and whistles, so I 
I don't mean like I wanted to fast forward the movie. I meant like, oh, buddy, I want you to get there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it builds uh, tension there. But that was, again, my ultimate goal. Like I wasn't watching and like, no, 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 slow down. These relationships. I was like, no, watch Star Wars. So, <laughs> and then I guess the funny kicker. I don't think this is a, I, I know it's a spoiler, but I don't think it's like too big of a spoiler. I don't think that's that's this kind of movie. But the, the fact that uh, his hometown theater is not playing Star Wars um, until like two weeks later. And I, I think that's so funny because it's just like, it says uh, in theaters everywhere, 52577 or whatever in the, like the, the corny 70s style trailer. And it's like, oh, his town is, guess it's not everywhere, right? Yeah, I empathize with that hugely. <laughs> Growing up, we did not get things in a timely manner. I do not empathize with that. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I don't. Here, it was always like sort of the opposite. We would get things a lot of times. Again, this I wasn't really interacting with people from other parts of the country, so I didn't have perspective until I would say college, right? And people would go back to their hometowns, and I was like, "Oh yeah, over winter break, I saw this cool, this cool film. Did you see?" It? Yeah, they're like, "No, that doesn't come out for two months, <laughs> you know, from where I live." So, like, that's the first time I really gained perspective of what exactly that is. <laughs> so it made me chuckle. The hardships <laughs> of these small towns. I mean, you know, you, your story with rent echoes that. Very true. It was it t- was four, three to four years later until I saw a touring production in Denver was the closest. Wow. That's cool. (laughs) And I did, I used to count how many times I had seen it. And, um, I have, I have since lost count, but, um, you know, it was, it was absolutely my five twenty five seventy seven. Theater kids today do not understand that, I would imagine, right? Like, cause... I, with the YouTube and the Instagram <laughs> kids today. Oh, man. Yeah, so I don't know if you want to just go get to our questions or if there was anyone, anything else you wanted to mention. Yeah, no, I was, um, as I was watching, I was thinking like, oh, we've, I, it's been a minute since we've done the questions, oh, yeah. so I'm excited. I was a little nervous. <laughs> Here we go. Our AP questionnaire so um brian who was this movie made for huh it's a good question um (laughs) what a surprise (laughs) (laughs) i would say i don't know i I guess it's i guess it's an everyone film but i don't know it doesn't exactly represent everyone let's be honest you know it's a a young white male from the 70s um, story, but there are whose, whose dream came, whose dreams came true. Whose dreams came true? But I'll say this: we've already echoed this, though. There's a lot of universality in this story, um, so I'll say everyone because I think everyone can connect to their own five twenty five seventy seven moment. As we said, uh, how about you, Iceland? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think certainly folks that uh, are interested in nostalgia, folks that are interested in, in in pop culture. I don't know that it would be a teens and tweens movie unless those folks were also somehow connected to either filmmaking or the arts, you know? So I, I think it's, um, I think it's more nostalgia than contemporary for sure. Yeah. I would uh, on revision, I would say like adults, you know, maybe some teenagers, but definitely if you're a young person who's interested in filmmaking, this could be a very inspirational film to you. Was this based on YA? No, no. no. Uh, it was based on a real person's life, so not it's YA. It's based on Y experience. Yes, yeah. YE. <laughs> Next up, who's most likely to succeed? Who won the movie? I mean, 
for me, how could it not be Patrick? Because like he actually won in real life. The movie got made like about this, and he was the first person to see Star Wars, and Star Wars became wildly successful, which is the un- yeah. understatement of forever, right? So, I mean, I think it's Patrick Reed Johnson. Maybe his mom, but Patrick Reed Johnson, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I agree. I, um, you know, can't disagree. I do love that it ends on kind of back to the friendship of the two of Patrick and his production partner, you know? And so I don't, I don't know. I think there's something, maybe something there, but definitely I think Patrick won. Uh, how about the Witterson award? Is there a character you would have liked to see more of? Character who would have liked to have seen more of? This is a, huh. Huh. I mean, do you have an answer for this one? Because I, I really got to think about this one. As a little sister, ah. um, I I would have enjoyed more of the little brother. I think it was it was enough, but I yeah, but I I, I liked seeing them on screen together, and I liked the way the little brother was, you know, participating in in the various things, and so I could have seen more of that. Yeah, I think I'll agree with you in a sense, and I actually enjoyed the family dynamic. More, I think, than the romantic dynamic. I loved seeing um, all the siblings and their like unique family story. I think they were dog breeders, which was interesting. Yes, Airedales. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what it was. Uh, yeah, even the the sister I thought was an interesting character, right? So I'm gonna just say the family. Nice. Um, okay, extra credit assignment. If you were gonna recommend a classic teen movie to a character in this movie i really struggled with this one um (laughs) because the movie i want to recommend is a movie that i don't think the patrick character would necessarily like but i struggled finding like a teen because this is a classic teen movie right like I can't be like, dude, you got to see Jurassic Park when it comes out. Like, you know, like <laughs> because I, I feel like that Patrick character would enjoy something like Jurassic Park. But since it has to be a teen movie, I, I picked Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Oh, that's a good one. Filmmaking elements in there, too, right? Like, uh, there's a lot of friendship there as well. Um, tragedy, of course, it's in the title. But I, I, I think the filmmaker side of Young Patrick would in, enjoy that movie. Nice. Oh, that's such a good one. That's much better than mine. What's yours? Um, I also went with like epic adventure because kind of because of the Star Wars of it all. And since this is in my mind, I was like, well, since this is a period piece, instead of like a contemporary watching a classic is sort of a, if you could glimpse into the future. You know, which is how you did it, right? Me or, or the Dying Girl is much more contemporary than yeah. Patrick's story. Okay. So mine is like that. And I thought Hunger Games. Oh, interesting. <laughs> just to, took off the wall a little bit. But just thinking about all the like world building that he was doing. I don't know. I I thought that I thought that he might enjoy the world built there i don't know it was a it was a it was a reach but i thought that'd i be like fun. it i like it though you found a teen action film essentially or not action you know action adventure absolutely and, yeah. and i also there was a little part of me that as i was thinking of it wanted to push like a female protagonist because probably in that era he didn't have as many there you go as we good call i mean there's still not enough but you know what i mean like so it was the contender side of me that also nice (laughs) (laughs) 
let's talk. Uh, now it's time for the serious part of our podcast where we talk about report cards for um, context, Rotten Tomatoes. This film has gotten 100% by the critics, 88% by the audience. That is awesome. 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. We know that is also a great score. So um, we hear grade A plus 2F as like an old school high school grade book. What when Patrick Johnson goes to the mailbox, I'm assuming, and opens up that letter from high school and there's a grade on it. What what grade does it get? Maybe I'm biased because we know the story here, right? From the director's mouth. But I'm going to give it a solid A because, again, I enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed the real-world aspects about it. And honestly, this conversation with you today, I think it made me enjoy the film even more. So I'm going to give it a nice solid A. Um, yeah, absolutely. All the things, All the things that you said that we have the kind of peek behind the curtain with the filmmaker, all that. It, it was all so enjoyable and charming. I think, um, I think a solid A is appropriate. Well, I'm sure Patrick would be delighted to hear that. <laughs> Which, you know, I was going to make a joke about like Rotten Tomatoes is one thing, but he's got the A piece for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Back to whimsy. If we are having a high school slumber party where we're watching this film, what is your 525-77 sleeping bag look like? So it's going to be Star Wars themed because Star Wars sleeping bags are cool. But I want sort of like like the Millennium Falcon and X-Wings, but I want to see like the strings and the and the you know all the behind the scenes parts oh, of it. Oh, fun. So it's going to be look like your traditional Star Wars sleeping bag, but more like the model. Does that make sense? Yes, I love that. I think that would be great. I think that should be like fabric. I think that's a great <laughs> idea. You. How about you? I was thinking more of like an outside would be um, whether it's actual denim or like look like denim in like a 70s jeans kind of style. And then you open up the inside and it's the the scroll from the that comes like oh, I like the, that. the words that comes yeah. at you or just the yellow like whoop, on yellow and black. I thought that would be fun. That's very cool. A little nod to the period piece. So we've got our sleeping bags. If we are going to rent two movies, get one for free in our mythical last blockbuster in the world, what two movies would you rent to go with 525.77 for a an epic slumber party? So I, I did the cop out here. Um, I did two movies that we talked about a little bit on in the interview, maybe as a tease for you to listen to the interview. Yeah. But the first one was The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's film from last year, which is a really good companion piece to 5.25.77. Patrick uh, talks about how other people have mentioned it as well, so I have to do it. And then the other film, again, is Angus, because if you haven't seen Angus, that's the film that I'll... Like, of the top ten films that people ask me about on this podcast... Angus is stealthily in there and it almost has no business being there. Not because it's not good or a fun movie. It's just like, it's not your 16 candles. It's not your Ferris Bueller, but um, for like a certain small pocket of a generation, if you will, it was a very important film that was also largely unavailable for a 
good decade, maybe more until uh, quite recently when it returned to streaming. Mm. So uh, check out Angus if you want to see another Patrick Reed Johnson work that's high school adjacent. And check out The Fableman, Steven Spielberg's film, because again, great companion piece for this one. Aislinn, what are your two picks? I almost said Fableman's also. And then when I listened to the uh, the interview, I was like, okay, it's brought up in the interview. So I pivoted a little bit. But um, I first I picked Almost Famous because I do think there are some interesting parallels. And, um, and they're both kind of enjoyable, fun, that behind the scenes of an industry or something that you've dreamed of being a part of. And I love that. And then to replace the Fablemans, I chose Super 8. Yeah. Oh, great. Those are two great picks. Yeah. I love it. In part just because I love Kyle Chandler. Nice. Um, but as a as a Spielberg, because the Spielberg part of this movie, I thought was such a shining moment that, yeah, similar to, similar to yours, just a different Spielberg pick. Awesome. I mean, I think we had some really fun picks. I think it was a really fun conversation. I'm glad, uh, you know, you saw it. I'm glad that I saw the film. I want to thank Patrick for speaking with me. And being on High School Slumber Party, always cool to have a filmmaker on the podcast. And since this is such a personal story for him, it's like doubly awesome to have him on and and just hear about what this process was like. So once again, definitely check out that episode. Uh, And then check out all the other episodes of High School Slumber Party and High School Slumber Party AP at cageclub.me or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter if it still exists by the time we release this episode. O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. How about you, Aislinn? Do you want people to follow you? Is there anything you want to plug? Oh, gosh. I I don't feel the need to plug anything in particular other than... I do want to reiterate, I think this was a fantastic, fun interview. If you, uh, It just also makes me, if it were me and I was a fan, which I am, but I was a fan and not a co-host, I would probably go back and listen to the other interviews that you've done too because I just think that's fun to review conversations you've had with um, with um, folks on the kind of on the other side of the camera or screen. And so – I know I'm going to go back and listen to the Angus-related ones again, so I would encourage that. For me, uh, I am you know, often lurking around Instagram at Island.ruth, and I have a, a host page on cageclub.me. That's all. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't exist. <laughs> <laughs>
here. It's over. Go home. Go.